What a blessing and honor to have the freedom to read out loud from the Word of God. James 4, 13 through 5, 6. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. As it is, you boast in arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So, what, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is a sin. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up your treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Heavenly Father, in these next few moments we have together with you, Lord, I pray as we are in your word, we know and stand on the truth that every single thing written in your word is breathed out by you and it is profitable for us. So God, right now, as we meet together in this place with one another, but more importantly, we meet together in this place with you. God, I pray that, as is the case and as it should be, Lord, because we meet with you, we will go from this place changed forever. And Lord, as I pray so often, Lord, what we do not know, would you teach us? What we do not have, would you give us? And what we are not, would you make us through your power, through the work of the Holy Spirit, and in the blessed name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. In 1875, William Ernest Henley wrote a poem entitled Invictus. It's roughly translated unconquerable or undefeated. Maybe you've heard at least parts of it, but I want to read it for you. It says, Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced 
nor cried aloud. And under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody, but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. Because I am the master of my fate and I am the captain of my soul. It's ironic that this poem was written in a collection of poems by Henley referred to as his hospital poems. It's said that Henley wrote this poem to declare his resilience and his defiance after having his foot amputated from complications due to tuberculosis of the bone, a disease he was diagnosed with when he was 12. His young daughter, Margaret, died at five years old from meningitis. And then later in life, Henley fell from a railway carriage. He was injured. This actually caused the tuberculosis to return. And ultimately, he succumbed to and died from this tuberculosis at the age of 53. Now, I can certainly understand and even to an extent applaud uh, the desire of a man to overcome his limitations and difficulties and not allow sickness to define him. However, it is obvious that Mr. Henley would never have desired these things in his life as no one ever would. Which means we can know for certain that he, along with us, are not, quote, the masters of our fate, nor are we the captains of our souls. This concept, this self-driven and supposedly independent thinking, we even use that term today and we'll refer to people and we'll say, well, man, it's a great trait for her. She is an independent person. It's exactly what James is speaking about in James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. He speaks regarding the frail nature of our existence, the fact that we are finite beings, we are not infinite in our knowledge, and yet we presume to know the future and we cannot control it. To live independently, simply, is to live without even considering God's will and God's plan. To put it another way, genuine faith does not live according to worldly independence. Now you remember, uh, or really quickly, you remember that these, these, all of these sections that have followed, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, he told us the three things that mark genuine faith. That uh, the one who controls their tongue, the one who cares for the helpless, and the one who keeps themselves holy or unstained from the world. And we're in the section now, at the end of the letter, where he's addressing what it looks like to be holy and unstained from the world. And so our constant battle to live independently from God affects different areas of our lives. And it can show up in many different attitudes. In fact, the greatest commodity that you and I have, the greatest um, treasure that you and I have been given, is also the one thing where we are tempted to ignore God the most. However, what we have to understand this morning is we cannot live independently 
regarding our time. Time is the one commodity that we cannot get back. Time is the one commodity we cannot earn more of. Time is the one thing we have been given that is a treasure that cannot be wasted. And so in verse 13, James begins by saying, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. And yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Now, verse 13 is interesting because he begins by saying, come now. It literally, you could translate it, now listen. The, 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 the feeling behind this is a father speaking to his child in a way. Uh, I'm certain if you're a parent here, you've never had to tell your children to listen before you say something to them. But that is what's happening here. I'm going to go ahead and warn you. This again is James being James. He is not going to back off this morning. He is going to press in again. I just let you know also, until he basically closes the letter, he never backs off. So we're in this for the long haul. Uh, but he says, come now. Or he's looking at, it's like he's looking at his children and he's saying, now listen to me. Listen to me. You who say, so, so here's the problem. They are saying something. They're, they're, they're expressing themselves in a certain way. He says, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. So he says, you're saying several things. First, you're saying today or tomorrow we will go. So he's saying, look, you think you control your time. You think you control what you're going to do today or tomorrow. Um, but then he says, or they say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town. So not only do they think they control their time, but they also presume that they control their destination. We're going to go to a certain place. And we're going to spend a year there. So not only do they think they control their time or tomorrow, and they think they control their destination, but they also think they control the duration of what they do. He says, we're going to be there a year, and then we're going to trade. They, they assume that they can control what they're going to do, and then he says, and make a profit. They also assume that they can control the outcome of what may happen. So they are making some very big assumptions about life and about their time. James is not rebuking these people for making plans, that's not wrong. Um, in fact, the scriptures tell us that man plans, but God directs his steps. That's two different halves, right? He does not rebuke people for planning. Man plans, that's a given. You're supposed to. It's wise to plan. Man plans, but God directs his steps. The point of that verse is man plans, but always leaves open the fact that God's plans supersede man's plans. So he says, um, these are the things that you're doing. You're, you're going and you're, you're, you believe you control tomorrow. You believe you control where you're going to go. You believe how long you're going to be there, what you're going to do, and the fact that you can control the outcome. See, what James is rebuking here is the fact that they say this, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go. 
That's a statement of certainty. I'm going to do it. And see, we applaud things like this. We will say, man, he's an independent thinker. She's a go-getter. She, you know, he's got all these things lined out and he's, he is certain about his future. He knows what he's going to do. Can I be really honest with you? None of us actually knows what we're going to do. Because we do not know what tomorrow holds. Now he says the issue he's got with them is that they are saying this. They're saying this. But look at verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. See, they said today or tomorrow we will go and we will spend and we will trade and we will make a profit. And he says the problem is you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You're acting like you control everything in your life, but you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. You are a mist for a little time, or you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. You are a mist, you're a vapor, you're a smoke. What, whatever your translation says, basically it's something that appears for a moment and then filters away. Our time is temporary on this earth. It's so, in fact, because we are temporary, we cannot arrogantly assume that we're going to be alive tomorrow, and that we're going to make money. He says, this is the thing. They are basing their life on their assumptions of what they can do and what they can control. The fact is, if human beings could control, or at the very least, know what's going to happen tomorrow, things like the Great Depression could have been avoided. Run on the banks could have been avoided. Why? Well, simple. Before the stock market falls, go take your money out. Except no one did. Why? Because they didn't know it was coming. Because you cannot know. James is straightforward without any, as he does, without any kind of varnish whatsoever. He is telling us that we cannot go through life living as though we control our own destinies and our own fate. We cannot live our lives as though we are independent from God. The reason we can't live this way is because not only do we not know what tomorrow holds, but he says, you and I, our lives are like a vapor. They're here for a moment and then they're gone. Not only do we not know what tomorrow holds, but simply put, we don't know how many days we have. Because we don't know how many days we have, genuine faith should function in such a way as to recognize that ultimately, I do not control my time. I do not control the number of days I will live. I, will not, I do not control what will happen on this earth. The only thing that I am in control of is how I respond. It's how I live. It's how I think. See, uh, you say, well, this sounds really basic. I mean, I understand that we don't know. But here's the problem. It's so basic, most of us miss it. See, you know why 
we worry about things so much is because we think we can control them. We say things like, oh gosh, I just don't know. I'll tell you this, and I'm not quoting any one particular person. I would say I'm quoting like five or six hundred people at any given time over the last 20 years. Pastor Jeremy, I just, my life just feels so out of control. I want to set you free this morning. You have never been in control. So if your life feels out of control, hallelujah. Because you've never had it to begin with. God is in control. He is in control of the very breath you breathe. The very beat your heart is taking right now. He is in control of your tomorrow. He is in control of your next year. He's in control of your next decade. He is in control of it all. And the reason I can say that, or the reason it's so important for us to understand is, regardless of what is going on in the world, God is in control. Regardless of what happens on a Tuesday at some point in November, God is in control. Okay, hear me. Did you realize that God was in control in the first century before the United States of America even existed? And He has been in control that whole time. And He's in control today. And He never stopped being in control. In fact, the psalmist said that even during the flood, you were on your throne. That means even when the greatest, most cataclysmic disaster in the face, uh, in the, the history of the world occurred, where only eight people survived and estimated millions died in a flood, God was sitting in heaven on his throne, not taxed, not worried, not upset, not bothered, not trying to figure out what to do next. He was on his throne because he has always been and he will always be in control. And because he has always been and will always be in control, if you're a believer this morning, you can know this. One, you cannot live your life independently like God does not matter and God's will does not matter and God's purpose does not matter. But you can also rest. You can rest in knowing that regardless of what occurs, God is in control. We exist not for our own purposes, We exist for His plan and His purposes alone. He doesn't work on our time. He works on His own time. It is not our job to figure out what the time is. It is simply our job to roll with what He's doing. One of my favorite quotes forever is is from the Bible study Experiencing God. Henry Blackaby said that it is not our job to work for God. It is our job to find out where God is working and to just join Him there. Why? Because He's already working. He's already in control. It's not my job to figure out what to do. It's my job to figure out what God is doing and to simply join Him. Because He is ultimately in control. See, and it's our natural tendency. It's our natural tendency to try to live independently from God. To say, I know what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm handling my life. I've got my stuff taken care of. We don't live independently from God because it's easier. In fact, it's more difficult. We don't live independently from God because we're more successful that way. Truth be known, we're not. Our striving to live apart from God actually reveals something about us at the root level of who we are. See, 
our issue becomes clear. We can't hide the pride in our hearts when we live independently. We can't hide the pride. James nails it. He says exactly what the problem is beginning in verse 15. Instead, you ought to say... So, remember verse 13. Listen, you who say, verse 15, instead, you ought to say. So, he's giving the opposite of the way you should live. Or, he's giving the opposite of the way we live and says this is the way you should live. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will. Remember before, today or tomorrow, we will. We will go. We will Spend, we will trade, we will make a profit. He says, no, instead you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live. Now, notice this. He says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord lives, or if the Lord wills, we will live. This is another really important point. And, and I don't think it's overstatement to say it often. He says, if the Lord wills, we will live. Every single moment of our life occurs because the Lord wills it. Every breath you take, every beat of your heart, every moment of today and tomorrow is if the Lord wills, we will live. He's saying actually uh, in verse 13, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go. He's saying look, you're making an assumption that you'll still be alive tomorrow. You're making an assumption. You're saying, oh, I know I'll be alive tomorrow. Everything will be fine. I can promise you this. The vast majority of people who die, unless they saw it coming medically from a long distance, actually did not know that they wouldn't be alive the next day. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So he says both the fact that tomorrow would even come for you and what you will do is all dependent on the Lord's will and the Lord's will alone. See, our lives are not properly understood if they are not understood spiritually. They're not properly understood if they're not understood theologically. My children can attest to this. I tell them all the time that every decision we make is a theological decision. Every action we take is a theological action. Say, boy, it sounds fun growing up in your house. I would assume so. <laughs> Every instance, we, you know why? You say, well, even, even the mundane task, yes, even the mundane task, like, and, and they've heard this one before, so they'll smile probably. And the reason they can smile is because of what I'm about to say. Because I say, even brushing your teeth is a theological decision. It's a theological decision because brushing your teeth is to take care of the body that has been given to you so that you might steward it well, hoping that the Lord wills that you would live tomorrow, and if so, you would honor Him by caring for your body. 
See, every decision we make is a theological decision. It's all according to the will of God. And so then we, we take it out into other things like what am I going to do with my life, like my career or my family or whatever else. Then the answer is simple. I think this is what I should do. I'm praying and seeking the Lord. But if the Lord wills, this is what we're going to do. You have to live your life in such a way as to say, if the Lord wills, I will live. So Martin Luther was asked one time, what would you do if you knew that the Lord was going to return tomorrow evening? And his statement was, I will get up in the morning and plant a tree. The reason is because that's already what he was planning to do. See, you said, well, I don't understand exactly what that means. What he was saying was, live your life in such a way where if you knew the Lord was coming back tomorrow, it wouldn't change the way you live. See, most of us say, well, if I knew, if I knew tomorrow was my last day, I'd do this and I'd do this and I'd do this and I'd do this and I'd read my Bible a little bit more and, and I'd do this and I'd do this. Uh, the answer is simple, is if you would do that, if your day, last day was tomorrow, you should be doing that today. Why? Because that's what the Lord wills. You're living according to God's will, not according to your own purposes. If you would instantaneously change the way you live to honor God, if you knew tomorrow was your last day on this earth, then what that means is you should change the way you live now, and you know that's the case. You just figure, I've got more time. Well, how do you know that? He actually says... Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this... Or that, as it is, so he's returning back to what they said before, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. So what he's saying is, these phrases in verse 13, um, today and tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. He said that's boasting. You're boasting and he tells us the reason. What's the problem? What's the root of the issue? He says you boast in your arrogance. What is the root of the reason we try to live independently for God, or from God? It's not because we think um, that it'll, it'll be better for us, and it's not because it's more successful. The reason we try to live independently from God is because at the root of our being, we are prideful beings who think we know better than He does. He says the root of it, you boast in your arrogance. Now, that word is really important. The word here, arrogance, this, it's only used this time in James. It's only used one other time in the entire New Testament. In the entire New Testament, it's only used one other time. And it's in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, he says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. And that word translated pride is the same word that's translated arrogance here. What is the pride of life? The pride of life. Here he's talking about the same thing. The pride of life. The pride of life is saying, I know what my life is about. I am in control of who I am and what I'm going to be. I'm going to accomplish this because I said I am. I am the captain of my fate. I am the master of my soul. I, I Ah, he said, that's the pride of life and you're boasting in your arrogance. In fact, he doesn't back off, does he? He says, all such boasting is evil. 
All such boasting is evil. When we begin to assume the direction or the duration of things in our lives, or when we begin to make decisions apart from consulting God. See, many of us, this is how we make decisions. We say it's the Christian way of making decisions. We make whatever decision we want, then we just go to the Lord and say, Lord, bless what I did. Please. Instead of the way we're supposed to live. The way we live when we say, if the Lord wills, that means before I make a decision, I go to the Lord. And I say, Lord... Is this what you want me to do? The way I pray is pretty simple. I pray, God, and, and this is genuinely true. So, so if you say, well, I don't know if you really say, I really say this. I go to the Lord and I say, God, I'm too stupid to, to figure out your will most of the time. And then I'm also too sinful to do it often. So, so here's what I'm asking, God. Since, according to the book of Revelation, you are the one who shuts doors that no one can open and you open doors that no one can shut. Lord, if this is what you want me to do, leave the door open and I'll run through it. And if it's not, would you slam it in my face? He's answered that prayer every single time in my life. And I believe, I'm not saying I, I always follow it. I fail to do it. I make decisions and later say, Lord, um, I really messed this up. Could you bless this anyway? But the truth is, we have to enter into these things recognizing James tells us, well, okay, well, I don't do that every time. I guess that's kind of bad. No, James says to live this way is evil. It's evil. In fact, here's what he says in verse 17. Case, unless, lest we think, so I didn't, I didn't know it was evil. Well, here's the thing. Now you do. Why? Verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do, which is what he just told us, whoever knows the right thing to do and he fails to do it, for him it is sin. See, oftentimes we think that sin is doing something we were not supposed to do. James here says it, uh, we also sin when we don't do something that we were supposed to do. Uh, some term, you may be familiar with these terms. Uh, these are referred to as sins of commission and sins of omission. Uh, James is certainly talking about sins of omission. It's that you omitted something, but it's not that you omitted something. It's that you omitted someone. You removed God from the decision. You removed God from the process. So heaven forbid, uh, personally, that we should do this, but I will tell you, heaven forbid, God will not bless a church... That wants to do things for God, but we leave God out of the equation. You say, well, that doesn't even sound possible. It is very possible. One Chinese missionary, when he returned home, he was asked, what is the greatest thing that impacted you about the church in America? And his response was, the, most, the, 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 most, uh, the greatest thing that impressed me about the church in America is I was impressed by how much the church could accomplish without God. What does that look like? Well, find a church service that spends a large portion of time on their knees. Every Sunday. 
Find a church service that has at the center of what it does the preaching and the public reading of Scripture. Why? Because in Scripture we hear from God and in prayer we speak to God. And when we make those the center of what we do, then that means that God's will and God's purposes are the center of what we do. But oftentimes we say, Lord, we're going to do this. Now, could you just baptize this real quick so we feel good about it? Instead of saying, God, what do you want us to be? God, how do you want us to look? So, yeah, but we come up with amazing ideas. I can tell you this. If any idea that I or anyone else ever comes up with about how Eastwood should look or what we should do cannot be proven from this, then you throw it away immediately. Why? Because that is moving forward without God in the center. I promise you this. There's enough direction in here to last us for a long time in who we are supposed to be. He tells us, living and not acknowledging God's plan and God's will, it comes from pride. It comes because we think we know better, but we're called to live completely dependent on God. He puts an exclamation on the end of it by telling us that this type of living is evil. And since we know it's wrong, if we don't change that way of living, we're in sin. So as James is fond of doing, you think, okay, man, so hopefully he backs off at the very end because this is pretty tough. He saves the very end um, to punch us right in the mouth. Or rather, to punch us right in the bank account. See, because we can't hide the pride in our hearts when we live independently, but he also tells us, by the way, we can't live independently with our money. Like I said before, James is going to get to the root of the issue. And the best way, even Jesus himself said, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Why? Because for whatever reason as human beings, the two things that we think are ours are our time and our money. He says in verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 1, come now. Remember that's verse 13. Come now. It's now listen. So he's getting their attention again. Hey, look up here. Listen. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Now, I will tell you this, and it's obvious from this text. There are some traditions that condemn the wealthy automatically. That, that's not proper understanding of the New Testament. Okay, God never condemns wealth automatically. He warns against the dangers of wealth, and He also warns against the love of money. He does not say that money is the root of all evil. He says the love of money is the root of all evil. Simply put, the book of James assumes there are wealthy people in the church and he doesn't condemn them for that. He tells them that when a wealthy person comes in, you treat them the same way you would treat a poor person and vice versa. He assumes they're there. He doesn't condemn them for being wealthy. In fact, you say, well, it sounds like he did. Well, but listen to what he says. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Why? You have laid up treasure in the last days. His problem with them is not that they are wealthy. His problem with them is that they have placed the trust of their life and the foundation of their life on something that will ultimately fade away. 
He's saying you're putting your trust in something that's not eternal. Why? Because it's moth-eaten. It's rusted. All of these things. it, It is corroded. You have laid up treasure in the last days. But then, not only does he say that they're depending on their wealth, but then he says they're misusing their wealth. They're misusing their wealth. Verse 4. Verse four Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud. So it's not that they're wealthy that's the problem. It's that they got wealthy on the backs of other people and misusing people to do it. They are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. James is declaring they've lived lives of unneeded extravagance and self-indulgence that's not control. It's not self-controlled. He says you're living in extravagance and without self-control. That's how you're living. His problem is not that they have money. His problem is the way they're using it. And the way they depend upon it. And look what he says. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. That's a vivid description for the day of judgment. For those who depend on their wealth. See, what he's saying here. He's speaking to the church, right? We, we know that in the book of James. He's speaking to the church. But he says that your, your hearts have been fattened for the day of of slaughter. Well, what does that mean? Well, what it's telling us is James is saying, I'm speaking to the church, but if you live this way and you depend on your wealth this way and you mistreat people uh, over money this way, then I'm telling you when it comes to the day of judgment, it will not be a day of blessing for you. It will be a day of slaughter. So, well, so, he sa- so he's saying, if you live like this, you're not a believer. Because you have put your faith and your trust and your eternal significance in what you have and not in who you know. He says in verse 6, ultimately, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. They're mistreating the poor and the helpless. Well, now we've hit two things, right? Right? Not only is he talking about how to be unstained from the world, but also he's saying, by the way, you're also mistreating the poor and the helpless. And you notice also, they're boasting in their arrogance, which means they're not controlling their tongue. James is saying, you violated, you live like this, you violated all three marks of genuine faith. See, in our culture, where gaining material wealth and prestige is greatly admired and encouraged, We have to ask ourselves if we as believers are depending in any way on our riches that will fade and fail and fall away. In fact, living your life to amass wealth, hear me, living your life to amass wealth is a wasted life. Now, amassing wealth and honoring God with what you have been given is not a waste. That's a blessing. But living your life simply to amass wealth, is a wasted life because it is done selfishly and for the wrong reason. We cannot live our lives like our wealth will, quote, see us through. It won't. In fact, he says that making the riches of this world, 
the foundation of your life, it will ultimately fail you and it will testify against you. See, the ancient pharaohs, when they had all their treasure, when they died, they were buried with all of their treasure because they believed they would need it for the afterlife. But you know what? Every single tomb that has been discovered that was unopened, you know what they found? Every piece of treasure that they were buried with. You know why? Simply put, because you can't take it with you. See, when that Pharaoh died, he looked into the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he stood there as simply a human being with nothing in his hands. And he was condemned to eternity apart from God. He had amassed all this wealth. He had amassed all of this power. But in the moment he breathed his last breath, it meant nothing. Because you can have money in this life, but only what's done for Christ will last. The height of wickedness is presuming and pursuing wealth and assuming we understand and know tomorrow because it is rooted in our arrogant and prideful hearts. Because we end up being self-indulgent. We end up being self-centered. We end up living life thinking we're in control. And we are simply not in control. So believer, one, knowing I'm not in control should set you free. You're not in control. But the one who loves you, the one who treasures you, the one who is greater than all things, the one who has been forever, he existed before time, he created time, and he will exist long after time has ceased to exist. That one, he's caring for your tomorrow. He's the one who gives you the breath you breathe. He is the one who makes your heart beat another beat. And the moment it stops, it's because he desired it and he's in control of that too. And that's why it's a blessing that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you are with the Lord at the moment you die, yes, it may be tragic on the circumstance on this earth. But when you go to be with the Lord in heaven, it's tragic for those you leave. But for you, it will be glory. So we have to live our lives remembering that God's plans and God's will are to be paramount. They're to be the ultimate thing in our lives. And when we seek to live our lives outside of God's will and purpose, we're walking in arrogance and in pride, assuming we know what's coming next. Following your own plans and ignoring God may lead to short-term quote-unquote successes but it will never lead to a satisfying, God-honoring, and lasting peace in your life. So believer, how dearly do you hold your money? Does God figure into the equation at all? Or is He simply an afterthought? Do you plan out your life 
whether it's your activities or even, yes, your finances? Do you plan that out and simply ask the Lord to bless it? Or do you go to the Lord and say, God, will you guide me through this to honor you and to live according to your will and your purposes? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the question this morning is not, what do you do with your money or what do you do with your time? What James is telling us is that the issue is not our money and not our time. Those are symptoms. The issue is the heart. Where is your heart this morning? Where is your heart this morning? You know, as a believer, we're supposed to support the work of the kingdom and support the work of the church through our local church. But I have had people over the years tell me, well, you know, I'd give to the church, but honestly, I work hard for my money. And I don't know if it's wise for me to be doing that with my money. It's not your money. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's His money. And not only is it His, you say, well, if you're saying, well, how much should I give? Can I tell you you're starting at the wrong place? Well, how much do, Pastor, how much do I need to give to the work of the kingdom? How much do I need to give to be right with God? The right question, believer, is how much do I need to keep in order to live? How much do I need to keep to accomplish the, the God's will in my own life? And that tells me how much I'm supposed to give. You say, well, but I got to have... Okay, so the average income for an American... This is from a few years ago. But the average income for an American is just over $34,000. Um, did you know that $34,000 puts you in the top 1% in the entire world? If you make $34,000 annually. Do you know how much the annual salary is for someone who lives in Mozambique? $80 a year. So the question is not how much do you make. The question is where is your heart? Where is your heart? If your money controls you, your heart's in the wrong place. If God does not figure into your plans regarding your time or your finances or your family or anything else, then your heart is in the wrong place. And the issue you need to deal with this morning is not God help me fix what I do with my money or God help me fix what I do with my time. Your issue this morning is God fix my heart. Because I don't, you don't figure into my equations. But you should be the one I consult first. Believer, if that's you this morning, the simple truth is what James says in verse 17 of chapter 4. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Because we live this way, we are in sin. And the only thing to do when you are in sin is to repent of your sin. is to turn away from your sin and start living for the Lord. And entering every situation with, if the Lord wills. We will live and we will do such and such. And maybe you're here this morning, you're a believer and you're depending on something else. You're depending on your riches or uh, your abilities or a piece of paper that hangs on the wall or any other thing. You're depending on all of those things to bring you lasting satisfaction or to get you through. But can I tell you, it may give you, as I said, it may give you short-term successes but it will never give you lasting peace. It will never give you lasting satisfaction. Because in the words of St. Augustine, Lord, our hearts 
were made for you, and they are restless until they find their rest in you. See, in the end, you were created for God. And you were created to live a life that brings Him glory. You were created to follow Him and to serve Him as your Lord and Master. And when you live, when we live outside of that design, it never brings lasting satisfaction. It only brings hollowness and brokenness and dissatisfaction. But Jesus came so that you might have peace with God. Jesus came so that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So if you have never trusted the Lord and you're trusting on something else this morning, you can put your faith and your trust in Him even now in just a moment as we sing. I'm going to stand up here in the front. If that's you and you want to come forward and you want to say, look, I have, I've been depending on my own ability, my own strength, my own whatever, but I want to trust in Christ now. I want to live my life to honor Him. You can do that even this morning. And in a moment, I invite you to come down and speak with me. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, I want to, I'm a believer. I know I'm a believer, but, but I've gotten off track a little bit. And I want to live my life according to God's will and for God's purposes. Here, here's the thing. We are not perfect here, but we are striving to live that way. And because we are striving to live that way, if you're a believer here this morning and you say, you know, I've been looking for a church family to connect to, I want to invite you this morning. You can come forward and say, I want to join with the people of Eastwood to live out God's will in my life. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been struggling with something. You've been struggling with what God's will is for your life. And I can tell you this, I'm glad that someone mentioned something years ago. And I don't mention it all the time and I should mention it more, but I'll say this. I'm certain that there are some in this room, even now, you may not come forward this morning, but there are some in this room even now, who have been feeling a particular pressing from God. You've been feeling the Lord calling you to something more than even what you're doing now. And you would say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm really nervous, but I think maybe the Lord's calling me into ministry. The Lord's calling me into some sort of vocational missionary, ministry, whether it's to be a, a missionary or a, a pastor or, or whatever else. The Lord is calling me into ministry, and I want to I wanna follow Him. I want to follow His will. It scares me to death. Trust me, I've been doing it a long time. still scares me to death. It will scare you to death because it is a life lived by every day saying, well, if the Lord wills. But that's the greatest way to live. I'm not in charge. He is. And it will always bring the outcome of His glory and my good. So this morning, if the Lord is calling you to trust Him, then come forward and say, I need to have Jesus Christ in my life. If the Lord is calling you to join with this church family, come forward and say, I want to join with this church family. If the Lord is calling you to some sort of vocational ministry, then come forward and say, I want to follow the Lord with that. If the Lord is calling you, uh, you say, I'm a believer, but I've never been baptized. Come forward this morning and say, I want to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus, come forward and say, I need Jesus in my life. The invitation is open to you. The only thing you have to do is step out and come forward. Let's pray together.